Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. Today we're talking the late, great Pete Shelley and the Buzzcocks. You can now listen to episodes on the Brother Pod app, which gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search Brother Pod in the App Store to download onto your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, it's with great sadness, we will talk about the late, great Pete Shelley and his band, The Buzzcocks. Today we are reminiscing um, after the sad passing of Pete Shelley, the leader of one of my favorite bands uh, growing up, the Buzzcocks, and uh, a band that had a a very brief but very influential uh, lifespan, and um, you know is reflected later in their career. It is one of those bands that never kind of was positioned in a way to really succeed um, because they split up so soon after they stopped, you know, after they started recording music and uh, uh, cycled through enough members um, and split up enough that it was uh, kind of a choppy tenure. But um, their body of work, I think, speaks for itself. And um, Pete Shelley sadly passed. Uh, they were still touring or as a reunited band and um, putting on a good show. So... Um, sorry to sorry to break that horrible news. Yeah, some some sad news before we go into our end of the year programming here at Brother Brother Brother. So yeah, I mean, um, when I know you're a huge Buzzcocks fan, it's a band that I uh, have certainly um, know is very influential. I, I, I feel like I you know cert- have a, a somewhat of a you know, idea of some of their more well-known songs, if you want to call them that, are the songs that people tend to kind of go to. Um, I, I, you know, I thought we could kind of take this pod, as since you're, a, we'll call a, a mega fan of the Buzzcocks, to do a little bit of, like, brother yeah. schooling. So, you know, first and foremost, like, this band came up in the late they, 70s through the the punk world, the jam, they, Sex Pistols, no, Buzzcocks. Kind of, you always get those names thrown together. Yeah, they were part of... They were never really part of a scene, and they were from Manchester, which you know was uh, pretty far afield back in the day. Uh, famously, Pete Shelley and Howard Devoto, um, who were the original two members of the Buzzcocks, went to uh, London when they read about the Sex Pistols, um, saw the Sex Pistols, and then organized the first Sex Pistols concert in Manchester, for which they were supposed to uh, open. 
but their drummer and bass player quit. <laughs> so, um, you know, mission aborted. Uh, Seems like a lot of personality uh, conflicts within the Buzzcocks already. Yeah, there's a, I don't know if you ever saw 24-hour party people, but um, Howard DeVoto, who left uh, the Buzzcocks to start a magazine shortly after the Buzzcocks put out their first EP, uh, Howard DeVoto actually appears in 24-hour party people to absolve himself of the charges that he had slept with uh, Tony Wilson's wife. So, um, <laughs> but... So Pete Shelley, Howard DeVoto, they re-recruit uh, a bass player and a drummer and a really talented, uh, you know, rhythm section. Um, punks didn't quite know yet uh, beyond the Sex Pistols that they weren't supposed to be able to play music. And so, you know, the Buzzcocks were a, a strangely uh, musical, musically a fairly accomplished band for people playing such simple songs. Um, they wind up recruiting these people and, and opening for the Sex Pistols on their second ever show in Manchester. Um, and, you know, from there, they took that sort of loud, fast, uh, you know, to borrow a term from the Dead Boys, loud, fast, and snotty approach. Um, but, there, you know, in the, the, the baseline for the Buzzcocks or the, the sort of through line for the Buzzcocks was always that um, they were very literate, very funny, and also um, uh, just had incredible melodies. So, you know, this loud, fast thing, as much as it was a an ethos, was also, you know, very, very thinly veiled cover for a band that could write the hell out of a pop song. And were they mainly a singles band? Because I know, you know, the, the one... The one thing that I always had was the, a singles collection. Yeah. I think early on, yeah, they had they put out four EPs, um, or I don't know whether they literally qualify as EPs or, or singles. But um, their first one's Spiral Scratch, which is the one with Howard Devoto. He leaves. Stig, uh, Steve Diggle, who was uh, the bass player, moves up to guitar. Very good musician. Again, uh, they recruit Steve Garvey and John Mayer, um, and uh, they. Record a series of um, singles, EPs. Call, well, the first one was called a. Uh, uh, sorry, same from a different kitchen, and those were aggregated and ultimately because of these singles going steady sti- into singles going steady, which was released okay. on both sides, uh, you, the U.S. and the U.K. Um, and sort of became their first album, much in the same way that Hatful of Hollow. Uh, sort of stands as an album for the Smiths, but it's really a, a collection of singles as well. Um, but it, it's the defining first album, so to speak, from the Buzzcocks. Um, and, he, and then they also had a different kind of tension, right? Which was a full-length album? That was their first that? full-length album. Okay. Uh, different kind of tension. Not only was it their first full-length album, it was their final <laughs> full-length album in 1979. Um they, like I said, it was a, it was a short um, and very um, fiery existence uh, for this band. But, you know, so that collection of singles, they did actually hit in England. They had top ten singles, uh, Ever Fallen in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have Fallen in Love With, um, being their top, I believe, their top selling single. Um, but uh, they had several singles that were... On top, I mean, they multiple appearances on top of the pops, uh, several singles that charted, and singles going steady. Again, is a record of that a different kind of tension. Um, I think at the time was sort of seen as a something of a disappointment, and has grown into 
uh, a fan, a sort of fetishist um, dream for, for, you know, Buzzcocks fans because it's that album that nobody really talks about ever. And it's, if you go back and listen to it, it's a really goddamn good record. It's got some weird stuff on it. They were getting a little experimental. Um, and the knock on it was that every song that sort of fit the Buzzcocks mold that was on a different kind of tension could easily have been the sister song to something on Singles Going Steady. So basically that they were either copying themselves or going too far out on a limb. Um, the one standout track... Which is kind of a, a weird uh, criticism if you think about a band that really had no album prior exactly. to that. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's up there with, you know, John Fogarty plagiarizing himself. Um, right. You know, it, it, it's kind of a strange thing. But, you know, again, it's British music press, so more of the same... Um, you never know whether they're clamoring for more of the same or, or for you to evolve so that they can hate you more. But, um, you know, uh, Singles Going Steady, going back to that record, was sort of this, you know, it's a get a, it's a, get a very sort of samey, uh, Ramones kind of vibe. Pete Shelley has a sort of high, uh, I'm not sure I'd call it a falsetto, but a, kind of a high nasally voice. Steve Diggle is a sort of natural uh, backing vocal and harmonist with him. And Pete Shelley writes very funny songs that were, you know, at the time um, he was sort of openly uh, open about his sexuality uh, being bisexual or, or, or gay. And that was a, a strange, you know, that was a very bold move for that time, yeah, particularly in that movement. 1979. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 76, 77, 78, 79. Yeah. Um, so he, and, you know, he was still looked like a guy who would paint your house. So it wasn't, you know, he wasn't Freddie Mercury or somebody who was, you know, drawing an enormous amount of attention to these things. Um, he just sang love songs that were fairly ambiguous and uh, very, again, very funny about having your heart ripped out. As I would think, you know, I mean, the one thing I would say about the Buzzcocks that... Um, you know, that sort of uh, is their legacy is that you could call them among the godfathers of several different genres. I mean, they sort of invented... Yeah, I was going to actually ask you that. I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me is how short the initial career was because they came back in 91, I think, with a new album, you know, and I'm sure varying degrees of original members. But all of their albums, you know, I think post the, in the 90s and stuff still got pretty good critical acclaim. But really, when you think of the Buzzcocks, you think singles going steady, different kind of tension, or at least, you know, that that's the yeah, original uh, group and, and grouping of songs. So why? how did they have such a big impact? What what genres would you uh, call out that they really influenced? Well, punk. Um, you know, they were... Like the Cali punk? Like well, the they, pop they, punk? I would, no, I would say that they were very influential originally in, in the British punk movement, in the American punk yeah. movement. Um, you know, time going by they they you know i mean the first time i ever heard green day i, I was like how did the buzzcocks buzz get popular you know right. uh you know and it's it wasn't a it wasn't a one-for-one one comparison but there's no way on earth you know in the same way that you know all the way that they were singing in british accents yeah and it, 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 you know there's no way these guys didn't listen to singles going steady a million times growing up um, right. And it's, you know, they, they, that even the humor that's sort of in, inherent in those Green Day songs is sort of, you know, it's a self-deprecating, you know, when punk started, it, even the Sex Pistols in their own twisted way had a 
very keen sense of humor. I mean, pretty vacant and things of that no, nature. Definitely, yeah. But they were, it was anger first and foremost. It was fuck authority, secondly. Buscocks were writing poppy love songs um, that were pretty amusing and self-deprecating. So in that way, I think they kind of, they sort of fall into the sort of godfather mode of, you know, punk first, uh, you know, to a degree emo, uh, which I, you know, loathe to think, but, you know, that sort of, you know, woe is me, what am I to do? I'm such a loser kind of sentiment. That whole, like, uh, Orange County, you know, or or California pop punk uh, world yeah, the, the is Gilmore a, Street. Oh, such a huge Cal, debt yeah. to that. One of our uh, one of our favorite albums this year with uh, Culture Abuse, I would say, definitely has that sound. <clears throat> and then Absolutely. the Green Days of the World, the, the No Effects is the. Um, you getting arrested? Here's some uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was. Uh, <laughs> they found Be you. Cool. Uh, um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, and I had forgotten this until I was reading up on Pete Shelley after he died, was, um, you know, they regrouped, like you said, in 1992, put on a new album or whatever. But both Nirvana and Pearl Jam took them on tour as an opening act. Wow. Yeah, as that a, is interesting. And as, as an act of deference, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it is one of those things where they flamed out so quickly that it is... They didn't fuck uh, up. You know, much the same as X, you know, we always discuss X. And if you go to see X, it's largely people, not only, it's not people who are in their 40s and 50s, it's people who are, you know, 48 to 52. And I think the Buzzcocks were kind of the same way. It, you know, they, they were passed down, obviously, but the the corp, the people who care the most were, you know, you were only exposed to them for a couple of years. So it's a very sort of, um, it's a people of a certain age, that age being the same age as Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder. Yeah, and it sounds like they had, I mean, you know, I certainly came of a time when there was lots of other things influencing, not quite, you know, we talk about a lot on this pod, not quite. Christian's day and age where you had access to everything. But, you know, I, I think I've talked about before, just sort of you would see a name that would be a, affiliated with. So it would be like, you know, the back of a skateboarding magazine would have, a you know, the Smiths, the, um, you know, UK subs, uh, Buzzcocks, you know, T-shirts or something in the back. You know, mm-hmm. you would kind of explore. The, the band, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bands through that. And and um, and I think they were one of those ones that, I, you know, I think sometimes like people first hearing the Ramones, you have a little bit of like, oh, this isn't what I was thinking necessarily it was going to sound like. I mean, because they are so poppy. Um, well, that was, yeah, that was a thing when I was a kid and I discovered them and I didn't discover them in real time. I, I was not listening to them in 1976. I was listening to them in, in, you know, 1982, 83 after they'd already split up. And, you know, to my ears, I just couldn't understand why these weren't hits in the U.S. I mean, to me, they sounded like radio-friendly. I mean, I had the same quandary with the Ramones when they hit, and I, I believe Seymour Stein did as well, <laughs> saying, I, I thought that I signed the biggest the band that was going to become the biggest band in the world. I thought everybody was going to fall in love with the sound, and I still don't understand why they haven't. And I think the Buzzcocks were, you know, a lot like the Ramones in the, in the sense that they were consistent, in their sound, they had a you know sort of a warped sense of humor, but they also pop you know basically just popped out two to three minute pop gems that had everything in common 
with, you know, Phil Spector songs from back in the day or, you know, almost Motown level, you know, hooks. And like I said, I, I you know, I, I always figured I'd put on, it always, you know, I always thought I'd put on something like Ever Fallen in Love or, or Promises or any of those songs. And then like mom would be like, what's this? This is great, you know. <laughs> But it, it, I guess it's a little harsher than I than I think. Yeah, there's definitely an edge there, and I think that comes a lot with the lyrics because they're they're to your point they're pretty funny and uh, you know sort of subvert, but there is like a lot of sexuality too. Well, yeah, I mean, you've, obviously the first single on Singles Going <laughs> Steady was Orgasmatic, which was banned by the BBC, which was always you know I was always very uh, careful to, you know, sort of fast forward that one when the tape went in the, 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 the family truckster. Um, Why can't but, I touch it? You know, is always a classic. Yeah, one of their longer that, songs, by the way, too. But why can't I touch it? I mean, that's a that's you know the song I think on Singles Going Steady that really speaks to the musicianship and the yeah. and the sort of willingness to to break the mold and uh, try some new stuff, which I think is the, the experiment which, you know, sort of gets carried through to its more logical um, uh, end on a different kind of tension. Um, but why can't I touch it? I mean, that wasn't Guardians of the Galaxy, for God's sake. You know, right. I mean, somebody, uh, somebody loves these guys. <laughs> it's a, we're few and far between, I guess, but, you know, we are a small army. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I think... Um, you know, for a band that had such a short run, had such a, an impact. Would you think or say, and I don't know, I don't know the history of the band, um, and, and you may not know the answer to this either, but were they like the Sex Pistols or the Clash influenced by that New York scene and the Ramones, or did they kind of come up sort of organically on their own? Because um, obviously the Sex Pistols, I'm sure, had an impact on them, but, you know, a lot of those bands originally kind of heard the, the New York sound and, and then to, you know, like all good British things, you know, filtered it through their own lens. It's, yeah, it sounds to me like they, you know, I mean, as the Sex Pistols were, were sort of influenced by the Ramones' first tour, I, I'd have to think the Buzzcocks um, may have caught that tour as well. Um, you know, they were the, 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 the original uh, front people for... Buzzcocks again, uh, Pete Shelley and, and Howard Devoto were, were college students and were both in bands already, other bands already. Um, Shelley playing music and, and Devoto, um, you know, do I mean playing rock music and and Devoto uh, being more in sort of experimental and then breaking off uh, from the Buzzcocks and, and starting magazine, which um, are largely credited with inventing post punk. Um, kind of simultaneous to punk breaking, but um, it's uh, yeah. I think they were. I think they were pretty aware of what was going on, and theirs was just a sort of natural outcropping. They weren't, um, you know, tucked away in a bedroom um, inventing a sound. I think they were heavily influenced and sort of. Again, I think they had the chops to play more complicated complex music and just fell in love with this as a uh, as a sound and aped it and you can again you can sort of tell from something like why can't I touch it which is a pretty um, you know rhythmically different song from everything else on uh, yeah it's something the clash wouldn't do until the uh, you know 1980 until Paul Simon on yeah. made to learn to play his bass yeah, exactly. uh, but you know then they again they did the same thing you know 
something like it's it's not far off something like Guns of Brixton. No, not at all. Um, you know, very bass heavy, very dubby kind of uh, a sound. But you know, like again, they're from Bolton, um, where uh, um, our former neighbors from New Jersey were from, and um, you know, sort of up north. You know, you had a very thick accent. Um, and uh, but you know Manchester was just coming. I think they sort of, in a way, they didn't invent the Manchester scene. But if you see something like Twenty Four Hour Party People, you realize that they predate everybody in that first Sex Pistols concert, which the Buzzcocks um, organized. Uh, you know, that's the one where the guys from New Order were there. The guys from right. Simply Red were there. Uh, you know, Susie Sue was there. You know, everybody who everybody was who sort became of in something. the scene. Yeah. yeah. Again, you know, I think there were 42 people in attendance, and, you know, 12 of them started bands. Right. <laughs> no, that's a, yeah, it's a great landmark. I mean, where do you rank the Buzzcocks in that first wave of English punk? I mean, you got the Clash, the Sex Pistols, the... Damned um, jam, I guess you know. I mean, all very different sounding bands to me to some degree, but but where do you think these guys land? To, you know, historically, um, they're kind of not up at the top of the list. The Clash to me is the unassailable kings. The Sex Pistols were the first, and you know, but if you'd asked you know seventeen year old me uh, who the greatest band of all time was, I probably would have said the Buzzcocks, and the greatest album of all time was Singles Going Steady. And it, it's never worn out for me. It's just that, you know, you sort of, you know, again, like I said, they, they, they don't leave the sort of mark and legacy uh, that potentially they could have. And at the same time, they influence, you know, maybe they're, they're everybody's fifth biggest influence. You know what I mean? It's like well, it's almost like the wave of bands recently that cite the replacements in the same way. You know, it's uh, American bands, I would say, especially, you know, yeah. the Titus, Andronicus, and the whole studies of the world, you know, um, that all kind of have turned back to the replacements. I think you're right. The Buzzcocks are a band that, uh, you know, like you said, from Eddie Vedder to Kurt Cobain to uh, Billy Joe Armstrong from, from Green Day, pretty damn big acts, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> are all and it's, know, turning, it, turning to these guys for influence. Put it this way: Nobody doesn't love them. Yeah, that is a good point. If that point. double negative makes sense. Yeah, there you go. So, well, anyway. it's uh, it's a sad, sad passing in a band that I know uh, certainly influenced your musical taste, which influenced my musical taste. So, uh, thank you, Shelley. And uh, that's kind of the thing. I just, you know, my my lasting memories are are you know me and Rob Hagen listening to this record over and over again, you uh, know, wearing wearing it out and. Until uh, it was, you know, one single long groove, and it was an album. So um, it's uh, that's its time and place, and and uh, we said bit of fond farewell to uh, Pete Shelley. All right, well, um, let's take a break, and then we'll be back. You say you don't love me.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Again, tonight it was a Brother, Brother podcast. Thank you, Jeremy, for indulging me in my, uh, my time of grief uh, with the passing of Pete Shelley. Always there for you, brother. Thank you. And uh, just a reminder that our next two episodes will be our annual um, bad math edition of a top 20 list, which I believe is a top 21 list in our, but the end of the year, end of 2018's albums of the year. And, um, yeah, we've been, we've been you know, sweating, whittling down our lists, listening. It's hard. It is hard. It's a lot, a lot of, music. of volume this year. Yep. And a lot of good music. There's a lot of things that were my, you know, last one left off the list. There's about 37 of those. Yeah. So maybe we can, maybe we can create some bad math and add a couple of those. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we I will. So. I think, um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun this year. Uh, we've done a lot of, uh, listening and a lot of a lot of recording actually too yeah and and also just you know being in our our second year running um and just as a as a thank you to all our fans we also are going to send out um our own favorite brother 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 (laughs) interviews and best of uh tweets so look for our tweets um definitely sign on for our, our app brother 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 app and um you know we had some great interviews this year we we had uh you know sean slade from um Slaughterhouse Studios, Fort Apache. Fort Apache, sorry, uh, Fort Apache, and then we also, um, you know, had a great Bob Muir and um, interview on Peter, the Trouble Boys and with Peter, Peter Jesperson yeah. and, and uh, Michael Hill, which was actually the I want to say at least the first and uh, only recorded interview with all three gentlemen that I know of. Um, so, you know, we'll be tweeting those out in case you didn't get a chance to hear them. And, uh, you know, we're just going to be a little self-indulgent and send out some of our, our faves. I agree. I agree. Well, um, I'm looking forward to doing the, the top 20 year end list. But before we do that, we are going to end this the way we end every episode. And that is, Jerry, what are you listening to? All right. Well, I have been uh, a little bit in a vacuum the last week because I was traveling in California for work and I um but I did catch a movie on the plane ride home and this is not a new movie by any means there was a movie that came out to some fanfare uh, earlier in the year and it was uh, crazy rich Asians um and I so yeah I did too it was like the perfect plane movie I had been working all week in California and took an early flight Saturday morning back to the east coast and uh, my company that I work with is also uh you know there's some folks from Singapore that work there. It's a, so it was an interesting movie in that sense as well. Um, and uh, so it was, I liked it a lot. I thought it was like a, a, a well done, cute rom-com and with a bit of like interesting culture and just a, you know, a different little insight. Yeah. A little insight that you don't normally have. So it made what normally could have, I mean, I think it probably would have been a fun movie either way, but took kind of your standard rom-com formula and uh, added, you know, the the ethnic mix and then the sort of cultural mix, and I thought it was uh, it was well done and the perfect plane movie for anybody going coast to coast or you yeah, know just a, looking for something to watch a, on a Saturday night. It's a little bottle of happiness. Is what it, it is. is. It's, it is. Um, and and then I will counter. I will I will take your bottle of happiness and raise <laughs> you one absolute bottle of misery, but uh, well well crafted and excellent misery, and that is the new Alexander McQueen documentary. Uh, that's out on Amazon now. Um, Alexander McQueen, uh, fashion icon, um, creative director for Givenchy uh, at the age of 27, I believe, and uh, 
a victim of a suicide at the age of 39. Um, what year did he pass? It was not that long ago, right? 2012, I 12, believe. Yeah. Uh, and it is a, it, it, I think it provided a lot of insight for me into the fashion industry much more than something like the September issue uh, did. It was uh, obviously the subject um, of the, uh, you know, the documentary is at McQueen himself, but the industry, um, you get a, a greater understanding of the industry and how it works, and it's a strange, um, it's a strange industry, but he was a m- magnificent artist and somebody who's just, you know, there. It is proof positive that there are people who are just preternaturally made to do certain things. Certain artists are just are whose talents just can't be, um, you know, bottled. Uh, can't yeah, can't be bottled, but can't be stopped. Yeah. Uh, the guy was really driven and and really interesting. And I mean, you know, I don't know. Just watch it. It's, What's it's, the name it's really of the dog one? It's called McQueen. Okay, nice. So it. easy to remember. And I believe it's a French production, but it's obviously, uh, he was British and it's in English. So, um, and then, uh, lastly, let's, uh, let's throw a song on in Christian's absence. We can, uh, you know, we can stuff the ballot box, um, <laughs> throw a song on, uh, the 64,280 10 best songs of all time. So. Do you have one in the can there? Yeah, I do actually. I, um, it's one. It's an artist who uh, will definitely be appearing, or has is already on my my top twenty list for the end of the year. And it's uh, an earlier single by them, so I'm going to go with Vince Staples. Uh, I think all time classic track, North North. Um, oh yeah. It's a, it's a. I hope that's not on there already. I don't think it is. So um, it's a you know just slamming hip hop, and it was my introduction to him, and and uh, I was sold. It's uh, one of my favorite hip hop songs. The last five years nice well i'm in in honor of pete shelley and the buzzcocks i'm going to throw on a buzzcocks tune but i'm going to throw on one that uh you don't hear very often by them it, even though it has the dna and the blueprint of like the quintessential buzzcocks and this may be the reason that they thought the second album was uh repetitive but uh, you say you don't love me by the buzzcocks great an all-time great Anyway. All right. Well, looking forward to wrapping up the year and uh, talking about our favorite albums. And um, I will talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks a lot. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.